by talking about why it's hard to talk about, which will, I hope, set a context for the kind of discussion that I hope to embark on in a few minutes. But the first reason, which I've hinted at in the opening, why it's so hard to talk about Judaism and sexuality is that sexuality is not a separate, isolatable part of human character. It suggests all the network of your social relationships, the creation of family, um, relationships with all the people in your life because they're determined in part by not just sexuality, not only being interest, but by gender, whether it's same gender, other gender, all the network of relationships in your life are in part defined by what it is that you assume about your sexuality and also to some extent what is true, whether it's your assumption or not. And there is another reason, a purely religious reason, why sexuality is both problematic and central to, I think, almost all religious systems. And that is, there is a certain contradiction at the heart of human nature that is impossible to escape and that all of us feel even though we don't always articulate it. And it, it's why people talk about a split between their bodies and their souls. And that is, inside ourselves, we feel different from the outer manifestations of ourselves. People are always shocked when they hear their own voice on tape. They're always surprised when they see themselves on TV. People look in the mirror and think, is that me? That's not how I feel. I don't really look that old, or sometimes that young, but mostly that old. In other words, what I experience internally and my body's reality are often different. And that's, I mean, this goes back to the very beginning of the biblical story when Adam and Eve eat the fruit and all of a sudden discover that bodies die. And that reality that your body is, after all, what decays and dies, because that's what happened, as uncomfortable as it is to say, that reality haunts you through your life in different ways. And therefore, the reality of our physicality, of our bodies, makes the experience of being a person a split, a dual one, a disconnected one, in so many ways, even though we know there's neuropsychology and neurobiology, and we know that chemicals change the way we are still, we talk about ourselves as though we're separate from my body. My back hurts me. It's a very strange thing to say. Who's the me that my back hurts? You split yourself off from your physicality. Oh, you say, you may not say oh, but some fit your own exclamation in here. Oh, you say, you know, I remember that, um, well, I'll give you an example, actually, which, which springs to mind for reasons that will become clear to one person sitting here today. When I was a counselor in camp, okay, I used to have kids, and I would say to the, I would say to, the, when I was training other counselors, I would say to them, look, 
kid's going to wet his bed sometime during this summer. When he does, don't laugh. Take it very seriously. Because what just happened is his body betrayed him. He didn't want to do that, and yet he did it because his body is independent to some extent of his own control. And we feel that all the time. Oh, I didn't want to react that way. Oh, I didn't want to get excited, but I did. I didn't want to get angry, but I did. I didn't want to get whatever the physical reaction is. And that realization that the part of ourselves that we cultivate religiously, which we think of as ethereal and non-physical, as a soul that's somehow inside of us that is shackled by this physical body, that makes sexuality very problematic because sexuality is one of the things that rivets you to your body. Right? You're not only sexual in your soul. Right? That means that we have, as religious people, a vested interest in figuring out the way in which sexuality connects to soul. I mean, it doesn't matter how exalted your soul, how brilliant your mind. You could be Shakespeare, and you can be writing Hamlet, and if you gotta go to the bathroom, you gotta go to the bathroom. Right? We're physical, even when we don't like it. And so that, that's why, by the way, there is a religious tendency much greater in Christianity than in Judaism, but it exists in Judaism more than most Jews think, a tendency towards asceticism, towards self-denial, towards not eating, towards abstaining from sexual relations, all those things. With Judaism, you can't go too far, right? You couldn't, Gandhi could never have been Jewish because he fasted for months. And on Shabbos, you got to eat. Right? It's a commandment. You have to eat on Shabbos. I don't care if you can hear Gandhi's mother. Right? I don't care if you're Gandhi. You still have to eat. Right? But in fact, that reality that you have to eat is still contradicted by a lot of Jewish practice that we're not aware of. In the ancient, in the time of the Talmud, in the ancient world, there was a book called Megillat Ta'anit, the scroll of fasting. It prescribes the days on which you are not permitted to fast. Now, if you have to write a book telling people when they're not allowed to fast, there was a lot of fasting going on. Right? And that impulse is to say, I'm just a spirit. I don't need food. I don't need water. I don't need sex. I'm just a spirit. Right? I'm an angel. That's what, we, that's what we act like on Yom Kippur, right? We don't eat. We don't drink. We don't bathe. Don't engage in sexual relations because we're almost non-physical. We're almost angelic. But well, that's only one day out of the year. And so there is this very cogent and insistent um, need that religion has to figure out what place sexuality has in a spiritual framework and also, of course, and powerfully in a moral framework. Because sexuality is also a moral problem. It's a moral problem because it's so explosive. I mean, that's what, you know, religion is in part about creating and maintaining a social order. We all know that. Why do you have to teach it to your children? The same reason people learn, you know, the citizenship stuff before they take the oath, because you're socializing children to be good, presumably, whatever good is, and that's 
another lecture. Um, but whatever good is, that's what we're trying to do. And you can have, as we all know, a stable, nice family, husband, wife, children, everybody's happy, everybody's doing well, and all of a sudden, a sexual passion, obsession, whatever, can explode that in an instant. In fact, the Baal Shem Tov, um, the founder of Hasidism, someone once asked him, how do I know? There are all these people who are claiming to be Hasidic rabbis and teachers and tzaddikim, righteous men. How do I know who's legit and who's a fraud? So the Baal Shem Tov said, I'll tell you how you can figure it out. Ask them how to avoid machshavot ra'ot. Machshavot ra'ot means literally bad thoughts. But in Hasidic literature, 98% of the time, it's sexual. Okay, that's what bad thoughts are. He said, ask him how to avoid machshavot ra'ot. If he tells you, he's a fraud. In other words, there's no way to do it. And since the thought is father to the deed, therefore, sexuality is also a moral problem for religious systems because happens in a second and is either irresistible or is often not resisted. You can take your pick. And then the other reason that it is so hard is that it's hopelessly entangled with other things, like romance. Um, and it's very hard to disentangle that. That's one of the reasons that relationships are so difficult, especially, especially, although forever and ever, I mean, just read the Bible, but especially in modern-day America. And I'll get back to the Bible in just a second. But for a moment, let me go to the movie Ghost, which is a jump, I grant you, from... Genesis, but I don't know how many of you saw.